you are now about to experience the Revive Effect. My name is Matt Celestio, entrepreneur and holistic health specialist. And if you're ready to start your health journey but don't know where to begin, you are in the right place. At Revive, we create better ways of living for our generation by changing the conversation around health. And each episode shows you exactly how to build health into your life. You'll unlock tactics to improve your sleep, nutrition, anxiety, self-talk, and mind. Break free from quick fix culture because it's time you learn to love your body and start to feel like the real you again. Welcome to The Revive Effect. How do I stop myself from spiraling? How can I stay positive in a negative situation that I can't leave? Why does my mind feel so cluttered and overwhelmed? How can I calm my inner voice and negative self-talk? These are some of the most common questions I receive from our students in our programs when it comes specifically to mental health and well-being. These are also the topics that come up in ordinary conversations that I have with people on a daily basis. And these are the questions that I've personally struggled with and maybe you do as well. So what do you do? How do you overcome this? And in today's episode, my intention alongside our exceptional guest is to take you from feeling anxious, overwhelmed, and feeling stuck mentally and guide you through practical insights so you can start feeling more calm throughout your day, more in control of your mind, and overcome those self-sabotaging behaviors and thoughts that are holding you back from your true power. Three million struggle with uh, anxiety every single year. Almost everyone I speak to experiences negative self-talk on a daily basis, and our brains are biologically wired to heighten all the negativity around us and suppress the positive. Plus, in a day filled with, you know, stimulation, chronic stress, and let's be honest, the heavy demands of life, it can get very easy to be thrown out of balance and feel helpless trying to get back to feeling like, well, you again. Our mind moves us further away from calm and peace and into a more chronic, stressful, lower vibrational space on a daily basis. Now, some of the best life advice I've ever heard from has come from the janitor at my gym, believe it or not. And it relates really well to our conversation today. He always says, everything in life is a choice. Sometimes you can't change what's happening to you or what you're experiencing, but you can change your perspective and response to it. And this, this is when you start feeling freer. Yes, you can be dealing with a stressful job. Yes, you might be dealing with overwhelming self-talk on a daily basis. And yes, your crazy busy to-do list or responsibilities can send you into an overwhelming episode of spiraling. And I empathize with you. I know the demands of these things. But with today's insights, we want to empower you with the tools and tactics to allow you to change your perspective and response to these situations so you can get in control, so you can catch yourself in the act, stop it, and spin it into a more positive experience. Freeing yourself, truly calming your mind, and allowing you to take either small steps or massive action to get back on track with your goals and life. Now today, we have Romina Monastero, registered psychotherapist, to explore this conversation with us today and dive into some incredible insights. Not only is Romina exceptional at what she does and is extremely knowledgeable in terms of helping her clients navigate anxiety and depression, her mission behind what she does is incredible too. She has a great passion for helping others and for the field of mental health. She is one of the most compassionate and empathetic people that I've met, and her drive to guide others as they navigate challenges is very admirable. 
Romina tells me she also loves seeing her clients evolve into the best versions of them and that her career is so fulfilling and makes her extremely happy. Besides her impressive career, currently working at three psychotherapy companies, before she graduated, she loved getting involved during the undergrad at U of T, and she participated and led events like Frosh Week, fashion shows, and even mentorships. She has also recently started her therapy Instagram account and is planning on posting more content soon. So I invite you to connect with her by clicking the links below in the show notes wherever you're listening to this episode. Now, what can you expect in today's episode? What are we going to be talking about? Today, Romina and I dive into some of her best tactics, practices, and secrets to navigating anxiety, spiraling, inner voice and self-talk, mindfulness and calm, and the digital age, tech, and anxiety. We cover all the bases. The insights that you take away from this conversation are not only practical, but also extremely actionable. Meaning, after you listen today, you're going to be able to put these insights into practice right away. So without further ado, let's get going. Romina Monastero. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Revive Effect. I'm your host, Matt Celestio. Thank you for tuning in. We have an incredible episode lined up for you today with my wonderful guest, Romina. Romina, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. How are you feeling today? Yeah, I'm doing well. How are you? So good. I'm excited to dive in because we met so long ago, a couple months, and now getting into the studio, bringing this all to fruition, uh, really to deliver a great episode is like this one come full circle kind of moment. So I'm really excited to dive in. Yeah, so am I. So let's get right off the uh, the get-go. We're going to talk about anxiety because this is a topic so many of our listeners resonate with, they deal with on a daily basis. So I want to get this really right in their face right from the beginning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So really simply, can you define what anxiety is? So yeah, so anxiety is basically um, a threat response that we have. Um, a lot of times people can really resonate with the symptoms. They look like, you know, both the physical and cognitive side of things. Um, cognitively, there's a lot of rumination, overthinking, um, things like jumping to the worst case scenario. Um, and on the physical side, people experience things like um, sweating, you know, racing heart, um, that sort of thing. Uh, it's basically just that um, alarm clock, that faulty alarm clock that's going off in our system. Um, and sometimes there's actually no trigger to it. So sometimes there is a trigger that we can identify and other times there's a- actually no identified trigger. Um, I just feel like it's a very, um, a very well-known symptom, a very well-known experience for many. Um, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. Like we said, everybody probably experiences that on a daily basis or not on a daily basis, but have at some point in their life, exactly. right? And they yeah. know what it feels like. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. Now you talk about this concept, constructive worry versus unconstructive worry. Mm-hmm. All right. And in terms of anxiety, can you break this down for our listeners? Like what's the difference and how is it beneficial for navigating our anxiety? Yeah. So that's a really great concept. Um, constructive versus unconstructive worry. I actually just used it for a bunch of my clients today and they were like, oh, wow, that's, <laughs> that's so helpful. Um, so unconstructive worry is basically another word for unproductive worry. So we're worrying, um, about something that maybe is logically, it makes sense to worry about, but the way we're going about that is not really logical. It's sort of exaggerated. Um, whereas logical worry or productive worry is we're taking that situation and we're actually trying to get to some sort of solution or end goal. Right. Um, so when we're sort of distinguishing between the two, it's important to look at things like 
um, how long are you ruminating for about this, right? If it's over 10 minutes, that's sort of considered more on the rumination rather than the solution focused side of things. Um, also, how much are you worried about? Are you trying to tackle like three things at once or are you focusing on one problem at a time and getting to that solution? Hmm. Um, is the worry about, is it based on anxiety? Is that where it's coming from? Are you feeling super stressed out? And that's sort of blocking um, your your thought pattern, right? Um, and the main thing is, is all this worrying, is it even leading anywhere? So is it leading to a solution or are you literally just wasting um, your time and energy and stressing yourself out even more? Okay, yeah. So it's almost like you're doing a self-audit, asking yourself these questions to identify unconstructive versus constructive. Is that what I'm hearing? Exactly, yeah. Okay. Can you give us an example of unconstructive and then actually constructive worry? Yeah. Okay. So if we're using an example here, um, okay. So let's say um, a student has an exam coming up, right? Um, constructive worry would be, would look like them anxious about the exam, um, them wanting to obviously do really well. So they're sort of stressed out, but they take that energy and they do something about it. So they'll plan out their study schedule. Um, maybe they'll plan it out for the week ahead and they make, you know, reasonable chunk of time every night to get to that goal of passing the exam. Whereas unconstructive worry would look like, I guess, sort of in this case, procrastination. So worrying so much about it, spending all that time, instead of studying and reviewing, spending all that time worrying, worrying, oh, what if I fail? Or I'm probably not going to pass the class, etc. To the point where they get actually no studying done, they don't reach that goal. And all that rumination was basically for nothing. It was sort of just stressing them out even more. Okay, yeah. Uh, I think I've honestly experienced both sides of the spectrum. Yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> but what, what I took away from that initial one, the constructive worry, is yeah. they fueled or they used that worry and fueled it into a more productive game plan. So they probably felt more in control and that probably alleviates those feelings of anxiety too, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Powerful. Yeah. Okay, I love that. Now, let's move into cognitive distortions. I know we've talked about this before. And from my understanding, their cognitive distortions are thoughts or personal biased perspectives heavily influenced by our emotions and aren't usually consistent with the reality or a situation at hand. Now, can you tell us what cognitive distortions are, maybe in a little more depth, and their relationship to anxiety? Yeah, uh, that's a really great definition. Pretty much um, encompasses all of what cognitive distortions are. Um, to sort of say it in other words, basically it is just the falsy way that we think about things, usually because of anxiety or um, related emotions, like even even depression is related to cognitive distortions as well. Um, and so there's a lot of different types. You, if you sort of search it up and research it, there's so many. The most common would be uh, probably catastrophizing. I feel like that's something everyone can relate to. So that's pretty self-explanatory. So you take something really small and then it really grows into something massive just because you've been thinking and worrying and having so much anxiety about it. Um, another one would be mind reading. Um, so sometimes our perceptions of other people or their behavior, we can sort of um, pretend or not pretend per se, but perceive it in a inaccurate way. Um, there's all or nothing thinking. So thinking either something or a situation is all good or all bad. Um, there is overgeneralizing, which is basically having something happen to you once. And assuming that for now on, it's always going to happen that same one way. So if you had a really negative experience with something, assuming that because you had this one negative experience, 
it's just always going to be negative moving forward. Mm -hmm. So those are probably the top ones, but there's so, so many. Yeah, people, again, if, if you struggle with a little bit of anxiety, even if you mm -hmm. don't, I feel like those thought processes still come up in our lives, right? Oh, for sure, yeah. So I love the definitions and they're really great to identify. So that way we know kind of what we resonate with. We can kind of leave what we don't, yeah. and our listeners especially. And that beautifully leads us into this next question because when we're handling these cognitive distortions, let's say someone's identified, they're catastrophizing or is it overgeneralizing you said? Or yeah, yeah. So let's say they've identified it. You try to handle this with something called thought challenging. Yeah. Now, can you just break down what this concept is for our listeners? Yeah. So thought challenging is if anyone has experience with therapy, uh, it's um, it stems from CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy. And that basically um, is a is an exercise you can think of or an intervention um, where we take some negative thoughts and we sort of try to flip them around. So we try to um, look at evidence that doesn't support those negative thoughts. Okay. And that comes from, I guess, just being observant in your everyday life and actually seeing the reality as it is. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of great exercises for that. So one would be um, like there's a thought record you can do. And so I get a lot of clients to do that. And basically they'll just write down their thoughts, particularly the negative ones. Um, and then we get them to sort of put, they call it, put those thoughts on trial. So we're looking at the evidence for it. We're looking at the evidence against it. And then we're coming up with a more constructive thought that's more balanced. Yeah. And then after they're like, oh my gosh, I went from thinking this totally different thing and now it seems so irrational. Love right? That. Yeah. It almost even just helps getting it all onto a page, right? So they're not also, all up here. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, exactly. And then you gamify the experience a little bit, feel like you're a lawyer. Like that's really, I like <laughs> that idea actually. That really is good. Now with all these great insights, and again, they've been fantastic. Mm -hmm. Have you ever personally struggled with anxiety? And if yes, how did you navigate that in a healthy way? How did you overcome it? What was that like? Yeah, so I definitely have experienced anxiety. I think it's still something that I navigate. Um, yeah, um, how I sort of manage it. I don't think you can ever really overcome it. I think if you're sort of predisposed and you just, something that you experience, it's always with you, but you can definitely manage it. Um, that's what I always say with my clients. So we can't get rid of it. We wish we could get rid of it. We can't do that, but we can like accept it and manage it and work with it every day. Um, things that I did to help with that, um, definitely just being really mindful of how I'm feeling. So not only mentally, but physically. I'll also like sometimes if I feel tension, I'll feel it in a certain area of my body. I know I'm feeling anxious or I know I'm feeling off. Um, Self-care is really big. So I feel burnt out if I don't take enough time for myself. And when I'm feeling that way, my anxiety will escalate as well. Whereas if I'm really taking care of myself, if I feel like I'm making time for all the important things in my life um, and I'm really feeling great overall, I won't notice it as obviously as when I'm not taking care of myself. So that's another thing. Um, and just talking about it, like it's such a, human common shared experience everyone can relate to it in some way um so the more that you have that conversation the easier it becomes to navigate and just feeling like you're not alone you're not the only one going through that day-to-day -day struggle sometimes yeah you normalize it right you desensitize for sure yeah, yeah i really like the first one you said be more mindful about it yeah because i find a lot of the time our day our day and age people just kind of take their feelings in and then brush it to the side super fast. They say, oh, I'll just wait it out. Yeah. I was yeah. having a conversation with uh, a good buddy of mine the other day mm -hmm. and I've been posting a lot about anxiety on my Instagram and he reached out, he opened up about it and I go, how did you overcome like your anxiety? What did you do? 
And he goes, I just wait for it to pass. I just wait yeah. for it to pass. And I go, yeah. again, like, great, but at the same time, make sure you're taking into account what are you doing throughout the day that's contributing to your anxiety. Do a yeah. little self-audit. Yeah. Maybe you can stop some of those practices that make you feel like that so you don't have to let it pass. You yeah. can mit- yeah. uh, navigate it in a more positive way, yeah. right? That's a great one too, though. Like, just letting it pass because we can't, there's no stop button. We can't stop it. The more that we actually try to do that, the worse it becomes. So by letting it pass, just accepting that it's there and letting it pass, it's going to pass more quickly than if we try to resist it. Interesting. Right. So again, just being very grounded, do a little bit of breathing, more mindfulness within the situation, and it helps it pass a little more. Would you agree? Yeah. And refocusing. Just don't think about it. Even though I know that sounds, I know that sounds like way easier said than done. But okay, you're feeling nervous. You're feeling anxious. What is something in the moment we can think of or refocus on? Try to steal that, steal that attention away from the anxiety. Okay. Now, aside from those practices, which are great, one thing you emphasize with your clients, and we talked about this when we met, was your holistic approach to uh, anxiety, stress, depression even. Mm -hmm. Now, that's something I admire about you because I also take a holistic approach with health. So to see other industries doing that, it really is um, empowering for the people that we both serve. Yeah. Now, can you describe why anxiety and mental health in general needs this holistic approach and the importance of meeting all areas of your needs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, so I definitely resonate and I pro- like I practice that with my clients. Um, it's sort of what I said already, um, just in the question prior. Uh, when we aren't taking care of all our needs, that's sort of where we will often slip up, right? So that's why when we're putting together a treatment plan for a client, we do have to take a holistic approach. So we're looking at everything from physical, obviously mental, spiritual, if that applies, who are the supportive people in that person's life? What are these persons, uh, yeah, what is this person's goals, both long-term and short-term? So we really have to take um, uh, a broad approach to it because it's not just um, a mental thing that we're working with here. We're really having to look at all areas of a person's life and seeing, okay, what needs a little bit of tweaking, uh, what needs to be modified, what is okay as it is, and how can we implement that? Yeah, and I, I agree with that 100% because like you said, if you're leaving out a piece of the puzzle, but it's a massive piece of the puzzle that's contributing to the anxiety, Yeah, all the other beneficial practices you're putting in, they might get a little dampened just at the mm-hmm. fact that you know we're not solving that root problem. We're not putting the fire out at the base. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's something I talk about with my clients too. And to see that in action in, with anxiety and all that, mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. So spiraling is something huge that students of our programs bring up time and time again. I've personally spoken with students who say when they spiral, it's so overwhelming to the point where they just completely shut off. Mm-hmm. Now, you have some really great practices for catching these episodes, stopping them, stopping them in the act, and then spinning them into a useful situation, mm-hmm. helping people, people feel more calm and more in control. Mm-hmm. Now, the two that I resonated with were constructive versus unconstructive worrying and worry time. Now, can you just describe worry time for our listeners and what it is and how does it work? Yeah. So um, worry time is a really great technique. Um, Basically, what that entails is, so if we think about it, we spend a lot of our day worrying. Often, you know, we have other things going on. We have work, we have family, we have friends, we have a bunch of stuff going on, um, but we're so consumed with our thoughts. And so what tends to happen is instead of being present with all of these things in our lives, we are sort of absent-minded because we're maybe physically getting the things done and the tasks completed, but mentally we're not there. We're checked out. We're worrying. We're ruminating. Mm. So what this technique basically looks at is, okay, what if we make a scheduled time 
where we're taking all of that worry and we're putting it into, again, that set time. Um, and we make it a routine of maybe, you know, every day you're dedicating that 15 to 20 minutes um, of worrying, which sounds horrible. <laughs> but um, the benefits of that is, or the whole premise of that is we're dedicating that time to worrying so that throughout the day we're, we're not worrying as much or we're, we're saving all that worry for that designated period, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, Definitely, right? Yeah. So whenever we have a thought come in, okay, it's not worry time yet. Worry time is maybe at 630 so we're going to save it to then, and I'm just going to refocus and continue on with my day. Wow. Okay, so when you're in this worry time, then, are you just letting all the thoughts kind of come to you and just kind of soaking it in, letting it pass? Or are you doing something constructive within that a lot of time that you gave yourself? Mm-hmm. So yeah, when you're in the actual worry time period, so that basically looks at you, yeah, basically getting all that worry out. A lot of people like to jot it down on paper. Some people like to just vocalize it if you're in a comfortable, you know, private space. Um, you can also do some, you know, if you're worried about a particular situation, you could do some, um, solutions focused work, like, okay, here's the problem. This is what I'm worried about. Um, how do we get to the solution? All of that would be done in that worry period. Mm -hmm. And then it's really important that you set that alarm. As soon as that alarm goes off, it's done. You're moving on with the rest of your day. You're refocusing, you're getting back to your life. Wow, interesting. Yeah. So it almost sounds like what we spoke about at the beginning with the constructive worry, right? With the student with the exam. Yeah. You're making yeah. a game plan for yourself. And again, as you journal it, as you literally throw it up out onto a page, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I love yeah. that. I think I might use that for myself because I could definitely use that with yeah, all the time. Try it. Yeah. yeah, it's good. You should try it. Okay. I love that. Now, so many people also brush off self-talk or they're even just unaware of how their inner voice and internal dialogue uh, mm-hmm. and th- that they have with themselves yeah. is affecting their mental health. Yeah. Now, why should listeners who struggle with anxiety, spiraling, or other things focus on addressing the self-talk and inner voice to feel better mentally? Mm-hmm. So that self-talk and inner voice is, I guess, another word for be confidence, right? Um, self-esteem. Um, I think they're all interrelated with one another um so important because if we don't work on that then we are gonna have a really hard time dealing with our mental health when let's say things pop up in our life and that voice is really loud the problems are just gonna feel that more magnified whereas if we sort of work on that inner critic or you know self-worth all that inner that inner sense of ourself then we're gonna find uh, moving forward We'll be able to carry on with a lot more confidence, um, a lot more ease. Obviously, that, that relates to anxiety. We'll be able to feel like we can handle whatever's thrown our way. So I think it's really interconnected and something to work on alongside working with anxiety symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. And even I find that the self-talk, the negative inner critic, mm-hmm. like 99% of the time, it's inaccurate. It's just straight up wrong, right? Yeah, exactly. So even yeah. just, I guess even having that in the back of my mind. So like yeah. when the ego does come out, you say, Take it back, see, like, I don't want to listen to that right now. You're just, you're just coming up insecurity, confidence issues. Yeah. So even just that nice little reminder Mm -hmm. is huge, at least for me, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah. We don't realize how harsh we are on ourselves. That's the thing. I know it's so cliche, but it's honestly true. If you were to like write down all of your thoughts, all of your, you know, thoughts about yourself, uh, probably, I don't know, probably 75%. That's just an estimate. But probably that many would be negative because that's how like our brains are just wired to be negative, right? So we're, we're not going to, you know, point out the things that we're doing well at. That's something we have to be more mindful of because it's not natural, but we will naturally point out, oh, I did this horribly. Oh, this didn't go well. 
I'm really bad at this, right? Mm -hmm. So that's just something that we have to be a little more aware of. Yeah, definitely. And even when you're when you are spinning that narrative, I find that when you're getting into more, I guess again, maybe mindful is the right word, more mindful approach to catching those and spinning those thoughts, mm -hmm. you now start looking for reasons where you are correct when you are changing those thoughts. Like let's say someone's um I guess socially anxious. Like they just can't go out in public. Mm -hmm. If you start saying things like, you know what, I am a good conversationalist. I do have some funny stories. Mm -hmm. They're now going to look for points of the night where, you know what, I made someone laugh or I did go out and I made, I socialized and people enjoyed my story. Yeah. So again, yeah. you're now changing not even just the thought process, but now your external reality, which yeah. is really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So now in terms of changing these thoughts, mm -hmm. you've spoken about something called CBT. And this is a practice you use to help with your clients uh, and overcome their negative voice, inner self-talk. So can you define what CBT is, maybe how we can go about implementing it in our lives to change our inner dialogues into something more loving, kind, and respectful? Yeah, so CBT is really great. Um, really good for, you know, anxiety, depression, really any mental health challenge. Um, what it basically looks at is it takes four factors and it looks at it, their interrelation to one another. So it looks at our thoughts it looks at our feelings our behaviors and any physical reactions we may be experiencing so um when we're working with that um i say the easiest thing to get started with is sometimes maybe behavior because that's actually something that's within our control whereas thoughts and emotions are involuntary oftentimes and we sort of don't have complete control over that so if we t uh, tend to sort of fixate on trying to change those things we might make the experience a little bit harder, right? So what we can start to do, let's say someone is um, feeling really low, they're having really negative thoughts and emotions, we can start them on like the behavioral activation path. So that basically means just how can we get you to do things differently so that that leads to uh, different feelings um, and thoughts. And the cycle is all interconnected, right? So once we're feeling better, um, or we're doing things differently behaviorally, we're going to feel better um, both emotionally and uh, cognitively through our thoughts, right? And also, if you're someone who experiences physical symptoms, then you're also going to be feeling better in that sense as well when you're feeling less anxiety. Interesting. Yeah. So you're almost, again, as, as different from what I've heard, at least, is, you know, change the thoughts, change the action. But you're saying change the action behavior first, and in turn, we'll change the thought. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Or change the yeah. feel like you can really go about it at any angle. It just may be hard to start. They always see leave thoughts till the end. So that's the hardest to tackle. So okay. sort of starting with the other areas um, might lead to a sort of smoother process with that. It's but you can really tackle it. Yeah, like you can really tackle it at any angle. Very interesting. I yeah. love that. Okay. Now let's dive into a little bit of mindfulness and calm. Now we've all talked about how it feels to be anxious, overwhelmed, that tightness in your chest. Mm -hmm. Let's transition it into a more Zen state right now. Yeah. And there's a lot of misconceptions around this topic of mindfulness and calm and what it means for some people. There might even be a sour taste for some. Mm -hmm. Now, as we talk about this, can you define what mindfulness is, I guess, to you, mm -hmm. how it's helpful for a calm mind and some misconceptions that might turn people off from China? So there's really no clear-cut definition to mindfulness. Um, the main, or I guess the easiest definition to work with here is just um, remaining in the present moment, whatever that looks like for you. So it looks differently um, to anyone, right? So for me, maybe it looks like meditation. For you, maybe it looks like a walk in nature. So it really just depends on people's personal interests. There's really no like key way to go about it. Um, we just want to basically detach from the external world for a little bit and 
kind of, um, you know, be a little more grounded and focus on our internal experience um, and what's going on in a present moment. That would be the main, I guess, key definition um, of what mindfulness is. Um, and yeah, um, sorry, what was the follow-up to that? No, even some misconceptions. misconceptions. Yeah. yeah, so misconceptions, there are a ton. Um, and I hear it all the time with my clients because they think, you know, I tried it, I hated it. Um, I don't want to do it in session because I'll, I'll always get, I'll always get clients I'll, like the last few minutes. Like, okay, what do you think about, um, a short meditation or that was a heavy session, let's light it up. So I get mixed reviews on that. Um, definitely, um, misconceptions would be, oh, I tried it and it didn't work. So yeah, I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> um, it made me more anxious because I was just sitting there and thinking about my anxiety and thinking about all these things going on. Like, how is this supposed to help me? Um, or just, I'm not doing it properly, so I'm just not going to bother. I'm wasting my time because I don't know how to do it. Those would probably be taught misconceptions. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it is a, it's a practice at the same time, right? So yeah. it's not like a one and done kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. So I like that you said that because when I talk about meditation in some of our programs that we have, I've been in times, and I know clients have been in times like the ones that you just said, where they go, I'm sitting in my meditation. Mm -hmm. For the life of me, I can't calm my breathing. Yeah. I can't calm my head. This meditation thing, it sucks. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame them when they say that. Yeah, I've been in those situations where I can't calm my breathing. Mm -hmm. But like you said, mindfulness is very personal to you. Yeah. I like saying, you know, even meditation or even mindfulness at that point is anything that brings you calm. Exactly. I, like it's so literally, it, that's yeah. it, right? Yeah. So for, for me personally, I like tea and listen to some music outside in the backyard. For me, that's a form of meditation. It's a form of mm -hmm. mindfulness. Yeah. Other yeah. people might like to sit and say, oh, all the power to you. I yeah. can't do that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so again, pick and choose and resonate with and then yeah and leave yeah. what you don't right yeah okay exactly. so if our listeners are curious to try this mindfulness thing out mm -hmm. they, they don't know where to start really how can they implement even just the simplest mindfulness practices in their daily lives to start to stop feeling overwhelmed and start feeling more calm and in control yeah so simple ways to implement mindfulness literally can look like anything you want so exactly what you said just grabbing your tea sitting outside listening to some music um paying attention to our breathing like people really love breathing exercises being more in tune with that um anything just anything people love nature so taking a walk outside paying attention to how the sun feels on your skin um like hearing the trees rustle or ruffle whatever yeah yeah, yeah. All, all that sort of thing like literally i know it sounds so um particular and specific but that's basically what mindfulness is being so present in the moment that you can pick up on all of these little tiny external things that you typically wouldn't mm -hmm. if you're just going about your day so it's just again it's just that moment of presence is what helps bring all of this mindfulness together yeah interesting yeah so one thing i like to do is i like to say i as you probably heard this scenario five things you hear five things you smell five things that you feel yeah. you ever heard five of that senses, yeah the five senses yeah that one can put anybody i swear anybody into a state of mindfulness because yeah. when you do that you really realize how much you are in your head and thinking about other things yeah. and you go there's a lot of stuff going on in this environment that i never even like your brain just kind of desensitizing and yeah. pushing out of the way right yeah exactly so yeah. do you ever have moments where you maybe feel too much in your head you're always thinking about even the future past things you got to do and you almost feel like not in your body in a sense have you ever had that feeling yeah definitely are you sort of getting to um like derealization like or that's like an anxiety response. Or are you just sort of saying like just feeling overwhelmed that you're you're not feeling present or 
Yeah, you know what? Nah. It's almost like, yeah, I'm not present, but I'm like spacey. Does that make sense? Like if you, let's say- oh, Okay, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, let's say, yeah, yeah. That's literally me all the time because I just feel like I have so much going on and everybody- it's so overworked and I have so much on the go. Um, I can 100% resonate with that. Yeah. Even your work is very cognitive. So your brain's always just a million oh, miles a minute. Yeah. So yeah. what do you do for your mindfulness? Like what's your, what's Romina's routine for mindfulness? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, as I said, I love meditation. It's definitely my thing. Um, although I'm not super great at it because I totally get what my clients say when they're like, I don't feel like I have time for it. Because there's some days where I'm like, I want to do it, but I, I have this, 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 and this. I don't I don't have time for like five minutes of mindfulness or like meditation. So I'm definitely guilty of that. But I like to make sure it's a pretty regular routine and, and thing in my day-to-day. Um, what else? I would say also I like walking a lot too. Walking in nature is really great. I'll try to do that, especially now that it's nice weather outside. I love that. Um, those are probably my top two. I'm not – yeah. I would say probably meditation, probably number one for me. Yeah, yeah. very simple, nice and easy. Yeah, simple, it. yeah, straightforward. Okay, let's dive into the digital age, tech, and its relationship to anxiety, or even if there is a relationship. Yeah. But for me personally, the last little bit, like you have had a lot going on. So my phone and laptop, they've been just right beside me mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, the other day I was at the Entrepreneur Center with my buddy. We were doing, our, we were doing work on our businesses. And I was sitting there and I was literally just sitting and there's this tightness in my chest, shortness of breath. My head was too spacey. Yeah. My friend looks at me and goes, are you okay? I go, honestly, I think I'm having like a borderline panic attack right now. Yeah. And this is kind of funny because I just released a three-part anxiety masterclass. Mm-hmm. I, I literally released it and here I am, you know, struggling with anxiety. Yeah. So it was really, again, a full circle come to moment. But the main takeaway that I had there was we all know we need to spend more time off our tech. Mm-hmm but it's so hard to break from it. Mm-hmm. Now, for you, and even if you're working with clients, you know, what are some positive coping strategies that our listeners can use to make this practice of breaking away from our tech top of mind and easier? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think first off, uh, just given the world with them right now, it's so hard to do that, but definitely possible. Um, some things that I personally do, um, I would say I love just the... Um, silence your notifications feature on my iPhone. <laughs> I do that all the time. Well, I have to most of the day because I'm with clients. But even when I'm not something, I'll just keep it there because I'm a type of person if I get like a text message or someone's calling me, I feel like, oh, I have to like get to it right away. I have to answer this person. Um, and so that sort of leaves you always on your phone if you think about it, right? Um, so I like to use the features on there. Uh, social media, same thing. So I've fiddled around with um, that feature on Instagram where it sort of um, gives you that notification when you've overextended like a certain amount of time. Can't say I've always been like super successful at sticking to it, but it's a good reminder and it'll sort of remind me, oh, wow, like I already was on for half an hour today mm-hmm. and it's only maybe like 2 p.m. Like, okay, that's enough, right? So having certain reminders like that are really great. Um, I would say if you can, um, keep your tech in a different room for a little bit. Like if you know that you don't necessarily need your phone or your laptop um, and you just want to be, I don't know, um, just reading a book or whatever that looks like for you, um, keep it in a different room. Like know that, you know, in an hour it'll still be there and you just don't need it right now. Mm -hmm. You can take that hour to yourself. Um, So that's what I would say. Just kind of fiddling with what's already in the tech 
for us when it comes to like being mindful of how much we're using it mm-hmm. and creating some space physically um, from it. Huge, yeah. Yeah. So simple, but so powerful at the same time. Yeah. And yeah, just filling your time, if you think about it, like with other activities that you'd rather be doing anyways. So instead of scrolling on Instagram for, you know, hour after hour sometimes, like what what can you do instead of that? There's probably so many things. And you, you say you don't have time, or a lot of people say they don't have time. They do. They're just not using it wisely in that way. Right? Definitely. Now, before we dump, jump into that next question, because you beautifully are going to transition into there, because I was going to ask you about that, is when you said we don't have the time. Mm-hmm. I was reading this book not too long ago, How to Calm Your Mind by Chris Bailey. Have you ever read it? I haven't. No. Fantastic book. You got to check it out. But he was saying that we become accustomed to this level of dopamine, this level of stimulation that we go about in our day. Mm-hmm. Most of it comes from the super stimulating tech, Instagram, socials, uh, even Netflix, constant switching from back and forth. Mm-hmm. So when people say, oh, I don't have time to kind of do more mindful practices or more calm practices, the reality is that we do. We just don't have the patience to adjust to a lower stimulation height. Yeah. What's, yeah. Your, what's your take on that? Yeah, I don't actually know too, too much about that. But um, for what you're telling me, it totally makes sense. Yeah. We're so used to everything so fast paced at our fingertips. So anything slower, um, less digital, that doesn't seem like it probably aligns or fits with our lifestyle, which probably makes it feel very unnatural. Right. Funny how it works out. It's not even yeah. a natural way, right? All yeah, exactly. The, and we but, just yeah. come accustomed to it. Yeah. Now, now we feel like the reverse is natural for us, right? Which makes sense why everyone's anxious, stressed all the time, right? Yeah. So I would would you say like now, like I guess even if you have a general understanding of history, like is now the time where there's the most anxiety, most depression, most mental health? Or is it is it kind of been steadily rising? Like what does that look like? And is are we in that time right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say definitely, yeah, like this is an era where anxiety is really on the rise. Um, again, we're looking at like if we go back generations and generations the things that people would get anxiety about look a lot different than what we're having day-to-day anxiety about right um so i think now it's just it's almost like we're finding any little thing to just get triggered about or feel anxious about um i think you know social media plays a really big role in that um whereas in you know in a different time that wasn't present so that alleviated a lot of anxiety for people right yeah i just think our lifestyle I think that's contributing most. Yeah. It's fast paced, screens everywhere. Yeah. Constantly on. So we're constantly plugged in for yeah. sure, right? Yeah, exactly. So let's yeah. beautifully transition into this. And this is the last question we have for our listeners today. We spoke about thinking back to your younger self or to a period where you felt like your best self, right? In your childhood, in the analog world, you know, filled with no screens, books, tea, uh, friends, whatever that is. Yeah. Now, can you elaborate on how this can help with our listeners' levels of anxiety and overwhelm? Yeah. Um, so that sort of relates to finding that inner uh, or inner child per se, right? And we think back to that mini version of ourselves. We could probably probably have memories of like having fun and being totally disconnected from all these things that we have going on right now. We, re- we didn't even know what any of this was, right? It was such it was such a state of bliss and simplicity. And so I think we sort of really stray away from that um, as we mature and adults and do all of those types of things. Um, so that's sort of just a way to bring yourself back to that inner child or that young version of yourself and what, um, what that was like for you, right? Um, it's also a great visualization exercise sometimes if we're stressed and we can kind of just close our eyes and it doesn't have to necessarily be something in our childhood. 
could even be just a really great thing that happened to us or a great period of our lives where we felt really great. Maybe we felt really confident um, or really calm or my, or, you know, uh, one's anxiety wasn't present or whatever that looks like. Sort of envisioning that and embodying that, even if it's only for a few minutes, just giving you know, yourself a break and sort of reminding yourself that it's not always going to be that tough, that you can get back to that state. You can experience that bliss and that peace again. And our emotions are just temporary. They're not ever permanent. Beautiful. It's beautifully articulated. So it's like tuning back into you, more mindful, and again, breaking free from all that constant plugged in digital age. Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. Now, Romina, exceptional. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Where can our listeners connect with you if they want to connect with you after the show? Yeah, so I have a Instagram account that I just started up um, a few months ago. Um, it's at it's at Get Real with Ro. Um, so I'm still I'm still starting that up, but I'm starting to put a little more content out there. Um, also, you can connect with me. Um, you can find me um, through my uh, psychotherapy clinic. So I work at well-being's counseling um as well as life and family counseling right now um and so if you go on their websites you'll be able to connect with me if you were interested in sessions uh through their scheduling system amazing yeah we'll link all of that for our listeners in the show notes wherever you're listening to this too so have a click down check out her stuff and if you want to book a session we'll leave that link for you there as well so romina thank you so much thank you for having me